Well, it is great to be with you this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning, this beautiful Pentecost Sunday morning. You've heard Jason already talk a little bit about Pentecost, and we're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit today about why Pentecost matters and about why Pentecost is important. That's why I'm, I was laughing with somebody. I said, I got my red bow tie on for Pentecost. You tend to see people sometimes on Pentecost Sunday wear red. I told Holly, I said, I'm, I know I look like I'm the Grove personified this morning. With my blue sports coat on and my red bow tie, I feel like I should be going to watch, you know, uh, the lane train or something. But, um, but no, it's Pentecost Sunday. We're going to unpack today why, as Jason said, this is such an important Sunday in the life of not just our church, but in the church in general. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be reading this morning from the classic Pentecost text, Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a, a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and the, a tongue rested upon each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenian, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phagyra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Serene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we heard them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But there are others who sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of to the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and on your sons and daughters, and on your sons, and on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you probably know, our church is a church that stays pretty busy. There's very rarely a time when there's something not going on in the life of our church. Our church always has something going. I was meeting with somebody um, Friday afternoon about 1130, and they said, hey, what are all those cars doing here? I said, oh, we host one of the largest AA meetings in central Mississippi every day of the week at 12 noon. And then again on uh, Sundays at 2 p.m., we host Al-Anon. On, uh, on, on Tuesday and Thursday nights, we have Boy Scouts. We work with the MRA on some first priority stuff. We, we have so many events that happen in our church. It, we, we're, and we're always, as a church, trying to find new ways to, to use our space, 
to use our property, to use what God has given us for his glory. Because God, we don't want to be like the, the parable where God gave the guy a talent he buried in the ground. We don't want to do that. God's given us stuff, so let's use it. So we're always open to new ways to serve or new ways to give or new ways to do whatever. We've had the neatest thing in our church for the last year. Uh, we had a lady contact the church and said, I'd like to offer an art class to older adults. You think the church could host that? We're like, well, sure. We got space. Why not? So every Monday, they're meeting tomorrow on Memorial Day. We're all going to be taking naps or barbecuing. They're going to be in Perry Hall painting. They, we offer an art class for, for not just older adults, but mainly for older adults. And every Monday, they come together and they paint. If you're here on Wednesday nights, we had a, an art show a few weeks back where they displayed their work. And it was amazing. People who had never painted before had, over the course of this year became amazing artists and painted some beautiful, beautiful things. In fact, if you walk down to the front of the sanctuary, you'll see a painting there that the, that the, the teacher that she painted and donated to the church. It's just beautiful. I am so envious of artists because I just don't have it in me. I don't, I don't, I can barely dress myself, much less paint something. And, and not, just, not just painting. I mean, we think of art primarily as painting, but I, I'm so jealous of my father-in-law. He's a woodworker. And he can take lumber and create train stations for his grandchildren. In our backyard, we have two swings that he's built for us throughout the years. Like, I'm so amazed at how someone can... See what can be out of what is. I just think that's an amazing town. There's this great, you know, Michelangelo um, had the great uh, uh, sculpture of David that's so famous. And somebody asked him, how did you know how to do that? And he said, well, I just chipped away everything in the granite that didn't look like David. Like, I'm so amazed at artists, at musicians, our musicians here at church who can just sit down with a guitar and start picking and come up with something beautiful. Those who can paint or fashion, whatever, like whatever, any form of creative, creative expression like that, I'm just amazed by because my brain doesn't really work that way. And I so wish that it did. I just think it's such an amazing gift to be an artist, to, to, see, to see what can be in the midst of what is. I just think that's an amazing talent. Scripture tells us that God is an artist. Scripture says that he spoke all that is into being out of that which was not. Read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You know what you see in Genesis 1 and 2? You see God being a creative artist. You see God speaking into existence lights, animals, all manner of life and coma and finally completing in his, the highest act of his creation, humanity. You see that. You see God creating. The psalmist tell us that God has painted his glory 
upon all of creation. So yes, you can walk out into the woods. You can go to a waterfall. You can find beauty in creation. And then you can feel something deep inside your heart leap up in these moments. And you can find something in your heart being drawn closer to God in these moments. Because God is an artist. God is a creator. I mean, we sing the song, don't we? You turn graves into gardens. Is God not a God that creates beauty out of ashes? I think Pentecost, though, might be one of the greatest pictures that God has ever taken, has ever created. The Bible is a beautiful, beautiful book. I I so love scripture. I so love his word. It's such a beautiful thing to read. And one of the things that's so important, I think, for us to read in scripture, and one of the things that's important for us to understand scripture is what scripture is teaching us. Scripture tells us the story of the creation of humanity, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Then it tells us the story of the fall of humanity, Genesis 3. And then from Genesis 3, All the way through Revelation, it's the story of how God was going to redeem creation, how God was going to redeem humanity, and how God's chosen way to redeem us, to restore creation, was through covenant. God is a God of covenant. Covenants are relationships that God enters into, almost like a contract. If you do this, I'll do this. So God is always making covenant with people throughout Scripture. He makes a covenant with Noah after the flood. He says, I will never again flood the earth. And as a sign of the covenant, I will set in in the clouds a rainbow. He makes a covenant with Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And that one day through these people, they would be a light to the world. And that one day the Messiah would come through his people. And, And the sign of that covenant, of course, was circumcision. He makes a covenant with David that a descendant of David would rule forever. And of course, that covenant was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And of course, we as Christians, we are under the new covenant of grace. Where if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. For God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And in the same way that each of these Old Testament covenants had a sign of the covenant, our new covenant also has a sign. And of course, that new covenant sign is baptism. Baptism is our sign of the covenant of God's grace. Scripture tells that beautiful story. And that's why scripture is so, it's so awesome. I heard heard someone compare this to music. I'm not a musician. I wish I was. They said you could study a symphony. And it's always best to see the symphony as one piece. To listen to it completely. And then when you understand it completely, you can then go back and listen for the woodwinds or listen for the percussion, or listen for the brass, and pick those parts out individually and study them. But a symphony is most beautifully understood when you hear it in completeness. Y'all remember Buffalo Springfield, if you're old like me? Okay, what was that uh, 
What was their famous song? What it was what it's worth? The one about something happened here. That was one of you. You know it. You're old like me. Some I mean, of you old people know it like I do. I thought. When I first listened to that cassette, that was the first cassette I ever listened to that had the, those weird 60 edits or mixes where you'd have part of the sound coming out of one speaker and not out of the other. Like, wait, wait, wait why is it not playing there? You know, like, so I've always liked how music sounds like that. Well, you really got to listen to it. When you listen to it completely, you hear the beauty, but then you can also pull out and listen to the bass or the harmony or the whatever. When you understand it in completeness, then it's when it's most beautiful. That's scripture. Scripture is meant to be understood individually. So yes, we can read Mark and read an individual book from Mark, a verse from Mark. Or we can read Romans and read an individual verse from Romans. But scripture is most beautiful when you understand Mark or Romans or Acts or Pentecost in light of the completeness of scripture. So what did Peter do? On this Pentecost Sunday, he quoted Joel. He went back to, back to the Old Testament and said, this is a fulfillment of what happened here. He's seeing this movement here on Pentecost Sunday as the completion of what started in Joel. Scripture is a book that when you see the completeness of it, you see the overarching power of God and the painting that God is painting, the story that God is telling, and the way God will redeem it. And when you look at Scripture in that way, you see beautiful bookends, shall we say. For instance, where did the Bible start in Genesis 1 and 2? In a garden. The Garden of Eden. There's a, little, there's a little restaurant in Heidelberg, Mississippi. I used to eat preacher. I used to eat lunch with the preacher there. And that restaurant in Heidelberg is called the Garden of Eden. What a great name for a restaurant. So scripture begins not at the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Eden. Where does scripture finish in Revelation? In a garden. With a river flowing from the throne of God. Do you see how God is completing what he begin, began there? Do you remember what God said to Eve and to the serpent after the fall? He cursed them. And to Eve he said, I will put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of the serpent. Today's, one of today's Old Testament readings for the day is from Isaiah chapter 11 which paints this picture of what eternity will look like. The lion will lay down with the lamb. It also tells us in chapter 11 that the child will stick his hand in the hole of the snake and will not be bit. I don't know about y'all. I'm, I'm looking at Will now because he'd probably do this because he's crazy. I'm not sticking my hand in any snake hole. And if I see a snake, I'm running. I subscribe to the Maxine Stoddard philosophy on snakes. Only good snake's a dead snake. But we see this picture in eternity that the child will stick his hand in the snake hole. What happened in, Re in, in Genesis 3? The snake was cursed in enmity. What do we see in Isaiah 11 that's looking forward to? The child will even stick his hand in the snake hole. God restores. And so this goes to Pentecost. So let's hit rewind. Let's hit rewind. Let's go back to Genesis Chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, 
The story of Babel in the Old Testament. Babel's an interesting story if you read it. Get, get this. Y'all are going to find this crazy. And, um, and, and, and Babel, the people said this. Our technology is so advanced because we can now make these mud bricks. We have such advanced technology that we no longer need God. Can you believe people thought like that? Isn't that crazy? I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. So they have this advanced technology of making these bricks. And they say, we're going to build a tower to heaven to rival God. And scripture tells us that God saw what they were doing. He came down and he confused their language. So at Babel, we see one people coming together, speaking the same language. And because of human pride, because of human sin, the one became many and were scattered across the world. The one, because of human sin, became many and were scattered. Let's look at Pentecost. What happens there? Well, you had, a hunch of, you had a whole bunch of Jews at the temple because you may not know this. Pentecost is not originally a Christian holiday. It's the Jewish festival of booths. It is one of three Jewish holidays where men were required to go to the temple to worship. They were required to go. It's like that, that's, that's why everybody was the temple. Because this was one of those days where all the Jewish men were required to be there. They're there celebrating the festival of booths, this festival of a harvest day holiday. They were there celebrating. So you had many people, as scripture tells us, from all manner of the world. Judea, Cappadocia, all these towns, Libya, Egypt, Cyrene, all over the Mediterranean. All manner of people speaking all manner of languages. You have many. And yet what happens? Because of the Holy Spirit, the many become one. Pentecost is the correction of Babel. Pentecost is God's creative power correcting what sin has done. At Babel, the one became many because of human sin. At Pentecost, the many became one because of the Spirit. Don't ever be fooled, friends. Our God is in the restoration business. Our God is in the salvation business. Our God is in the correction business. And there's no life too broken, no family too broken, no individual too broken, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that God cannot restore and that God cannot rebuild and that God cannot reclaim. But friends, what we gotta do is we gotta believe it. 
because sometimes the greatest gift, the greatest weapon the devil can use against us is that we just give up. I mean, how can God redeem me? Look at what I've done. How can God restore this situation? Look how far it is. How can God bring new life into a situation that seems dead? But y'all, that's what Pentecost is. And frankly, that's what the church is. In the church, we have the many who are here from different places across our state and our world. Different education levels, different jobs, different locations, different experiences. Different whatever. And because of the Holy Spirit, we come together and we worship the resurrected Lord. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can serve. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can give. Because of the Holy Spirit, our lives can be redeemed, restored, and reformed. And the broken places, the places of pain, the places of hurt, because of the power of the Holy Spirit can be restored. Now, our belief doesn't make it happen. This isn't Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. If we just believe it'll happen. It's the work of Jesus, y'all. It's not my work. It's not your work. It's not about me having willpower. It's about me submitting to the will of Jesus. And y'all, here's the thing. This all sounds good in theory. But this whole submitting our life to Jesus thing is not always fun in reality. God goes to Abraham and said, go to the land that I will show you. He didn't tell Abraham, hey, I'll get out your phone. I'm going uh, to uh, message you coordinates and just go there. No. He tells Abraham, you'll know it when you see it. And how did he know it? That Holy Spirit. Sometimes God, as individuals, calls us to places that we may not want to go. Sometimes God as churches calls us to places that we may not want to go, that we may be scared to, that it may be hard to, that we may not have it in us. But y'all, if we only do things for Jesus that we can do via our own strength and our own will, our faith will never grow. Think about lifting weights. I hate lifting weights. I hate it with the passion of a thousand white sons. I didn't like lifting weights when I was young. I don't like it. I didn't like lifting weights when I played football. I hated it. It's awful. I think of what a friend, a friend of mine said this one time. that said, Andy, I'd lift weights if they weren't so heavy. That's kind of how I feel about it. But you lift weights and it kind of tears down your muscles, doesn't it? What it technically does. What happens? Your muscles grow back stronger and bigger. If you only lift things that you can lift easily, your muscles will never grow. I think it's the same way with faith, y'all. 
if we only attempt things for Jesus, if we're only obedient to Jesus in things that are comfortable, our faith will never grow. Because then we can do it by our own strength. I think of a, a line. I don't know how many of y'all remember the old Christian songwriter Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was one of my heroes of faith. Rich Mullins lived a true Christian life. And he said this one time. It's a line that I think about a lot. He said, when we come to Jesus, we must give him both our vices and our virtues. He said, actually for the Christian, our virtues are more dangerous than our vices. Because the Holy Spirit will in time burn away our vices. But it's our virtues that fool us into thinking that we're stronger than we really are. It's our virtues that fool us into thinking we don't really need Jesus. It's our virtues that make us think that we're strong in our own two feet and we don't actually need the Holy Spirit that we see here on Pentecost, but I can do it because I've got it. And that's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that we can only do it through the Spirit. So we see on Pentecost Sunday, God is painting a picture. God is the artist painting a picture. He's painting this picture of restoration. How just like on Pentecost, he restored what happened at Babel. And just like in the end, he will restore what happened in Genesis. And just like in our lives, he longs to restore what sin has taken or corrupted. He's painting a picture of what can be. And y'all, there will come a day when there will be no more cancer. There's going to come a day when there will be no more addiction. There's going to come a day when there will be no more broken families. There will come a day when there will be no more depression. There will come a day when there will be no more fear and doubt and sin. But we will forever worship the Lord. And just like that... Uh, <laughs> Just like how I'm a bad artist and I can't see the painting. Sometimes it's hard to see what God's doing in it. Sometimes you're like, it's like, God, what are, you, what are you painting here? What are you doing? I don't understand it. I don't know what you're doing. This does not make a lick of sense to me. And that's when we hold true to what he's taught us. And that's when we hold true to our faith. And that's when we tro hold true to God's character and who he is. For scripture tells us that he is in the restoration business. And he, is in the re and he is in the redemption business. And he is in the life business. So this morning, friends, this Pentecost Sunday, I don't know what it is in your life that needs his restoration. But if you're like me, you got something. There's some area that the devil's attacking. There's some area that sin is weighing down. There's some area where you're uncertain or unsure and you don't know what the master artist is painting. And that's when we hold on to his hand because he is at work. He did something new at Pentecost Sunday that the church had never seen before and thousands were added to their numbers. He's doing something new in our church now. 
He's doing something new in our life. And it may not be easy. It may not be what we want. It may not be what we've chosen. It may not be the path we'd have walked. It might not be any of that. But that's why we hold on to Jesus. That's why we hold on to Jesus, y'all. Because there's no other hand in life worth holding on to but his hands. And there's no other name in creation where life is found but in his name. And there's no other hope of restoration. There's no other hope of peace. There's no other hope of life. There's no other hope of anything other than the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that name through the power of the Spirit given to us today. So today, friends, where in your life are you in need of restoration? Wherever in your life are you in need of new hope? Where in your life are you in need of his peace, of his life, of his mercy, and yes, even his salvation? Where do you need the master artist to paint that picture of life in your heart? God's a God of rest, restoration. God's a God of life. God is a God of creation. May we know our God. May we serve our God. And may we tell a world in desperate need of salvation about the goodness of our God. Let us pray.